Peter Hill Explains, where I invite you to join the science teaching conversation with me about... Wikipedia reading of uh, gravitational wave. It should be probably waves. It's not, not just one wave. Um, and this for me is sort of the deeper aspect to, to life, sort of, I, I don't know. I uh, was involved uh, uh, in my, well, when I was 20, 19, uh, building a gravitational wave experiment. Completely mad, completely no hope of working, but it was, it was in the field. And <clears throat> the understanding of what gravitational waves were was sort of absolutely cosmic. It was sort of an area of science beyond everybody else's understanding of science, which everybody else's science was an area beyond everybody's understanding. So, so um, if I can sort of explain. Most people think of blackboard space. The most that have been taught is that between me and that next object there is nothing, then they might be thought there's air. In space there is actually nothing. But as you learn more, you know that that nothing has a whole heap of properties about it. Properties which allow things to exist in it, things to move in it, uh, and light to propagate through it. And to light to propagate through it, nothing, it, that, that nothing has to have an electric spring constant and a magnetic field spring constant that uh, when it's twanged, it uh, counter-twangs in a way which propagates a wave. You've got to have enough mass in nothing for a wave equation to exist in it. And then eventually you learn about gravity and how uh, light travels in straight lines, but it bends around the space because that is a straight line in that curved space. You sort of get in, into it and understand understand it. So humanity, look, the man in the street um, thinks nothing. The, the educated man, who's been educated by a system at the moment, thinks that in space, nothing, there's actually nothing in that cube of space out there. So that cube of space is really no different from any other cube of space, but that cube of space obviously carries electromagnetic waves through it and stuff like that. It, it, for any instant of time, it carries a certain amount of watts in it. That, that cube of space is actually a battery, and uh, I can uh, uh, hold a solar cell to the edge of it and the energy into that space will, will drain from one end of the space to the other as the light propagates through, through, through the space. So, so there's a lot of complexity in it going up there. And finally we have gravitational waves. Now, as you would know, or as you sort of figure out, uh, that you uh, are sort of like uh, going off the beaten track and... Uh, uh, walking up this complicated way and having a look out into the universe and, and maths and it's this fantastic look out and th th they you know what's there is sort of just the start of a look out and you, you know you're not going to see it and the sense of wonder and the sense of well back then I thought that it will be a thousand years I thought a thousand years before we'll see a gravitational wave yeah, now that's interesting. The cockatoos are back 
Uh, we've taken their major tree down. It's beautiful, sunny without the major tree. You know, I think our trees are going to absolutely blossom and bloom. This major tree being removed, our, our property is the uh, one property with trees on it. Every other property has had the trees removed for good reason. Some for good reason. Some for stupid reasons. Uh, so our little properties have got got the got you know stacks the stacks of trees. It's sort of a bit run down. Okay, but getting back to gravitational waves, then in 2015, the mankind saw its first gravitational wave and the universe really opened up as never before seen. Now, there's two aspects of it. We've, we built an incredibly sensitive antenna. Uh, we've gone into maths, just so juicy, barely 100 years from the maths we've seen it come through. I just had to pause there for a, a very quick while, uh, but we're back onto it. Uh, the issue for me now is that we've got the second, we've had this really incredible understanding of the maths, that only a few people have understood, and then that, those few people have had enough influence to actually see the mathematics. And the math, it's, it really is, a combination of um, three components. This is understanding the maths, building the equipment, and the third component is a human civilization ready to receive it. And that, that next part isn't there. Very, very few people know or care. Uh, I, I live in an environment where most people are nasty to me, unfortunately. They, they listen what I have to say, and I, I say things very honestly. I say, oh look, I'm really fascinated by this equation, by this reaction, this chemical, this element, this piece, of, and the, the sheer hatred that I'm not interested in the, uh, the local sports team, the price of petrol, and uh, all, there is this, or, or the local uh, ins and outs of who's in and what's politically correct to say. There's, there is this sheer hatred, but on the other hand, there, there's this enormous understanding, and we just really can't get it out, out there. Um, so this is a, a profound thing, and um, I, again, I, I suppose with cognitive rehab, there's... Um, you know, I've got cognitive rehab to do, but essentially, um, there, there's, I've got to beat my own stupidity, but there is this enormous um, ignorance and stupidity around me in civilization, people buying too much of something in excess, eating themselves to death. Uh, what else could I say? Just, you know, um, climbing over each other at work to get more money and then spending it on a second, third car. Which is, you know, it's only one person, you can only drive one car. Yeah, it's sort of needlessly, uh, off, not sort of just been sucked into um, uh, society and what society says and stuff like that. But let's read about gravitational waves. It's the most incredible, beautiful, beautiful thing. So this is space itself shuddering. So when when two black holes merge, the space-time becomes ultra, ultra um, distorted. So you can imagine. Or you can't imagine the, the the black hole of 
no no physical dimension. It has it has no dimension. If I hold a ruler up to a, a black hole, it's not a little bit. It's not as size. It's got nothing. It's it's well, if you could. And these two things uh, inside uh, light can't escape, but gravitational wave, gravitational curvature does escape. Is is there? And uh, as it rotates. Uh, it's it's it is basically um, the size things coming down to the size of a swimming pool and whirring down incredibly fast, and it uh, and it whirs and it goes whoop like that audio frequency things audio frequency of whole planets orbiting so quickly, whereas it takes us a year to orbit the sun. As we find out, every time we orbit the sun, we, as we are orbiting, we are churning out gravitational wave energy, a full 200 watts. So that's, this is probably 200 watts is uh, feeble enough to boil a cup of water over, over an hour or something like that. 200 watts is a, is a bright light, but it's something that's not going to observe. And this gravitational wave is producing a, a very long wavelength thing it t takes a year for this gravitational wave to go crest to peak or crest to crest a year year time there so it's a very weak weak wave but the these things gravitational waves we can see and we can see they travel huge distances and we can see deep deep into the universe and uh, we've been seeing it to 2015 and the void that we have discovered it's not the void in space. We have, we can listen to space, but we can't. The the scary void is the void in humanity, which is in about American rights and uh, um, South China Sea and COVID and all this type of stuff, which is really a manifestation of humanity's frailty. Oh, I don't know. It's some incredible stuff. Okay, gravitational waves. Gravitational waves are disturbances in the curvature of space-time, generated by accelerated masses that propagate as waves outward from their source at the speed of light. It doesn't really say a lot to it, but it's, it's the actual space itself is vibrating, and it vibrates at the speed of light. Um, now, this is a, an important thing. You get the speed of light from to causality, so I couldn't, um, I can't go, you can't, things can't happen faster than the speed of light. So it's sort of a very philosophical way of getting there. Speed of light is by the, uh, given by the electric and magnetic twanginess, springiness of space. The ratio of those two together means that the collapse of the electric field leads to a magnetic field, simultaneous field. And the ratios of those in the wave equation gives you the speed of light there. How you get the speed of light from gravity, I don't know, because a, a gravity wave, how that goes across, but you really have two banes, um, so the um, uh, uh, light propagation is made by, uh, is made possible by um, a, not a vector field, but, but, but light having, yeah, light having a, or space having the electropermeability and permeability, uh, magnetic permeability of all space. So that means that 
if I want to make him a, a, a block of space, a bit like, um, well, I think uh, there's this game that everyone plays, I've forgotten what it's called, oh, where they build, they get blocks of space. If I have a block of space, I have to assign to that block of space E, um, the permeativity and permeability, but I also have to apply to it the gravitational tensor tensor going through it and, and I, I don't I don't know quite how the maths gives you the speed of light from gravitational constant but it must um, they were proposed by Henry Poincaré in 1905 which is interesting Poincaré's spheres and polarization and subsequently predicted in 1916 by Albert Einstein on the basis of his general theory of relativity that's interesting I think it's probably earlier than that, than uh, as the waves, I don't know. Uh, gravitational waves transport energy as gravitational radiation, uh, a form of radiant energy similar to electromagnetic radiation. Similar, but also parallel, it also has polarization and other interesting feeds. But it is much more complex in that. Um, uh, ultimately, um, I have a, a. There's no such thing as a. I suppose you could have. I wonder if you could have a, a matter dipole of matter and antimatter bound to orbiting each other. Now, that doesn't make sense, but um, electromagnetic radiation is essentially dipole radiation. You've got a positive and negative charge oriented each other. Gravitational has to be quadrupole because there's only monopoles going through. I don't know how it operates. Um, okay, gravitational waves. Okay, Newton's law of universal gravitation, part of classical mechanics, does not provide for their existence. Since the law is predicated on the assumption of physical interaction, propagate instantly at infinite speed, or you could say is based on the medieval concept of angel time. Infinite speed is angel time. There is no causality. Everything is completely garbled. It's complete absolute crap. You don't have to think about medieval um, physics for zero seconds. Instantaneously it is stupid. Um, and Newton uh, referred to these medieval... If you look at his Principalia, he refers to these medieval people in passing and he says his is just the boilerplate of maths or medieval physics yet this is what we teach in schools and we, we get this improper and it's okay because uh, if it's I've got a sheet of paper here a sheet of paper here there they are at the same time effectively it's a good approximation uh, for school, but it's awful. Uh, showing one, uh, okay, instantaneous speed, an infinite speed, showing one of the way the methods uh, of classical physics are unable to explain the phenomena associated with relativity. It's, it's not, it's not, I think science is a body of knowledge which has not been disproved. Essentially, we collect a whole lot of features and we say, we haven't disproved that, put it over there, it's sitting in a bubble called science. However, 
science education says that's that bubble and here are things which have been disproved but are easy to teach I'm going to call that science so the the science education is different education science is actually different from authentic science and at no point the, the basic lie is that they're teaching you authentic science gravitational wave astronomy is a branch of observational astronomy that uses gravitational waves to collect observational data about sources of detectable gravitational waves such as binary star systems composed of white dwarfs neutron stars black holes and events such as supernova and the formation of the early universe shortly after the Big Bang. All these things occur at different frequencies and times, uh, and essentially they can hear black holes or anything that coalesce. And they, they coalesce because they're collapsing because they're emitting gravitational waves. It's sort of this sort of this sort of one of these doubly proof things. It's this uh, Detecting a murder by CCTV footage, um, and the only person people fire guns is in the act of a murder. In 1993, Russell A. Hussle, uh, Hussle, and uh, Joseph Houghton Taylor Jr. received the Nobel Prize in Physics for the discovery of the Hussle Taylor binary pulsar which offered the first indirect evidence of the existence of gravitational waves. So, pulses are these rapidly spinning uh, radiation sources. So they're, if you can imagine radio wave pulses, they're, um, they are, are stars with entrapped magnetic field. And once you really understand magnetic field, it's an amazing thing. So these are producing huge quantities of energy equals mc squared their mass is reducing their energy is coming out somehow i don't know how that that operates the pulses just spin and the magnetic field i don't know where the energy of the magnetic field comes from but they uh, they spin uh, and when i say pulse they pulse at um, um megahertz uh, at the they're like quartz crystal quartz watches out in space and so we've got a whole series of quartz watches which are giving their timing signals throughout space and that actually gives you direct coordinates where you are absolutely in the universe with respect to these pulses but you can have two pulses orbiting each other and uh, uh, the orbit will mean that you get a doppler shift and as you get a doppler shift the uh, the pulsar pulsar signals move and you get this sort of dance as one is being flung towards you the other is going away from you and you can see this Doppler Doppler shifting going Nina Nina that and directly as one's going knee the other's going nah and you can actually see that at their orbital frequency and they've looked at this on February the 11th 2016 the LIGO, uh, LIGO, um, so I don't want to announce, the first observational gravitational waves, a signal detected at 9.50 and 45 seconds GMT on September the 14th, September 2005. So really, this is a point where human civilization has changed, yet the wave of... Um, 
of knowledge hasn't propagated out. So what's really interesting, this person, this author I wrote, uh, no, well, I've forgotten his bloody name now. This author, beautiful, beautiful old man, is now too old, travel out to Australia and sort of stuff. So there are two types of gravitational wave. The wave propagating to us, and now the wave's got to propagate into our civilization. It's beautiful. It produces such a beautiful piece of work. Uh, two black holes with masses of 29 and 36 solar masses. So these are something 36 times the size of our sun, merging about um, 1.3 billion light years away. During the final fraction of a second of the merger, it released more than 50 times the power of all the stars in the observable universe combined. Pretty amazing. Um, which it says, last fraction of a second. That sort of really doesn't mean a lot. It's sort of like um, the um, uh, lasers that I have. You look at, oh, it produces three watt in a, in a nanosecond, so that's gigawatt energy comes out, but it's still just nothing. You still put your hand in front of it, but oh, it hurts a bit, like a flat. Um, okay, and uh, the other thing is that uh, as things go over, the gravitational waves stretch out, as space is stretching out, the gravitational wave doesn't somehow avoid being Doppler shifted red, which is interesting. The mass of the new merged black holes uh, was 62 solar masses. Um, so the, the signal increased in frequency from 35 to 250 hertz um, over 10 cycles. So 250 hertz is sort of... I don't know, 250 hertz. I think 360 hertz is middle C. 250... And, uh, and 35 hertz is sort of like, you can basically hear that in your your big bass subwoofer that you make. Um, the signal was seen by LIGO detectors in Livington and Hannaford uh, with a time difference of 7 milliseconds due to the angle between the detectors and the source. The signal came from the southern celestial hemisphere in the rough direction but much further away than Magellanic clouds. Confidence level of the observation being um, uh, 99.99994%. That's interesting that your percentage is the number of sigmas, so that's 5 sigma, which is the golden gold standard for that's enough. I think most people in life make decisions based on one or possibly two sigma. People make life and death decisions on three sigma, five sigma is just bizarrely accurate. In 2017, the Nobel Prize for Physics was awarded to Rhinoes Kip Thorne Barry Barish uh, for their role in direct uh, detection of gravitational waves. Now, Kip Thorne uh, has written the textbook, so we just sort of tend to know him quite well. Voices well, the Macquarie. Barry Barish, don't know who he, who him, he is directly to have to be in the gravitational wave community. 
uh, in Einstein's introduction, in Einstein's general theory of relativity, gravity is treated as a phenomenon resulting from the curvature of space-time. This is sort of like the dumbest way of explaining it. The curvature is caused by the presence of mass, or I think he just had, uh, I think, g, uh, g equals t is the fundamental, you know, he's... He, E equals m, and c squared is 1, so E equals m, and g equals t are the two, two basic stars. And, yeah, I don't know. Um, in general, when they are equal, they're equivalent. It's sort of not, not sort of, there's no point where you actually jump the equal sign. Uh, generally, the more mass that is contained within a given volume of space, the greater the curvature of space-time will be at the boundary of this volume. As objects uh, with mass move around in space-time, the curvature changes to reflect the changed location of the object. In certain circumstances, accelerating objects generate changes in the curvature, uh, which propagate outwards at the speed of light in a wave-like manner. These propagative phenomena are known as gravitational waves. So, look, essentially, if I have two masses and they don't rotate and they just slam towards each other, that actually doesn't produce... Oh, I suppose it would produce some sort of gravitational wave and curvature. Uh, you've got all these phenomena that if I actually spin a coin, I generate a magnetic field. The 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 school physics is is just not enough. But I think we'll find out that the the quadrupole aspect of it. Uh, as gravitational waves pass an observer, the observer will find space-time distorted by the effect of strain. So strain is um, the uh, a stress is what you put to it. A strain is the response. The actual ruler in the x and the y changes. Distances between objects increase and uh, decrease rhythmically as space wave passes at a frequency equal to that of the wave. Obviously, can't do anything else. The magnitude of this effect decreases in proportion to the inverse distance for the source. Inspiring binary neutron stars are predicted to be a powerful source of gravitational waves as they coalesce due to the very large acceleration of their you've got circular acceleration masses as they orbit one another. However, here we go, due to astronomical distances uh, to these sources, the effects measured on Earth are predicted to be very small, having strains of less than one part in ten to the twenty. So, uh, 10 to the 12 is a trillion, so it's, um, uh, what is it, um, 100 million trillion. The most sensitive detective accomplishes uh, the task of process possessing a sensitivity of measurement of part of 1, part in 5 by 10 to the 22. Sounds okay in 20, uh, as of 2012. It's provided by LIGO and Virgo Observatory. Virgo is in Italy. A space-based observatory, the laser interferometer and space antenna, is currently under development in VESA. Now, the important thing is that, yes, the signal is okay, but there are a whole lot of other environmental signals which are far bigger than this. So not only is it incredibly small, you can produce an incredibly sensitive detector. It's just, then, it's sensitive to everything so it's packed you're, you're sitting on a vibrating planet being hit by everything and how you can pull it out 
So it's just being able to, to be sensitive to the waves. Gravitational waves can penetrate regions of space that electromagnetic waves cannot. They are able to uh, allow the observation of the merger of black holes and possibly other exotic observations in the distant universe. Such systems cannot be observed with the more traditional means such as optical telescopes or radio telescopes. And so, gravitational wave astronomy gives a new insights into the working of the universe. Unbelievably so. In particular, gravitational waves could be of interest to cosmologists as they offer a possible way of observing the very own universe, i.e. through the cosmic microwave background, which is an electromagnetic curtain. Uh, this is not possible with conventional astronomy, since before recombination, the universe was opaque to electromagnetic radiation. Precise measurements uh, of the gravitational waves will allow scientists to test uh, more thoroughly the general theory of relativity. Uh, yes, so, so there's there's two. There's two events. There's the the um, the things that are not recombined. Then uh, you have uh, sources of radiation which um, ionize everything, and it becomes an ionized plasma. And you can't see through it. It's just when that process slows down enough, you get the um, the opening up of space. So it's, I think, at uh, 400 million years ago. I'll have to look at, look at that in general. Uh, okay. In principle, gravitational waves uh, exist at any frequency. However, very low frequency waves would be impossible to detect. Uh, and there is no credible source of detectable waves of very high frequency as well. Stephen Hawking and Werner Israel list different frequencies, bands, Gravitational waves that could possibly be detected ranging from 10 to the minus 7 hertz, which is a fraction of a year, because it's pi by 10 to the 7 seconds in a year. So one on that is 10 to the minus 8 hertz. So saying could possibly keep pulling for a day, or 10 to the 11 hertz, which is the level of our, you know, that's absolute, you know, gigahertz. Um, computer is um, up there. Um, let's see. Uh, a gigahertz is ten to the. Yeah, I, I don't know how what the, what the thing. Oh, you could get radio waves. A radio wave uh, antenna could possibly do that. History. The possibility of gravitational waves discussed in 1893 by Oliver Heaviside. The Heaviside distribution, using an analogy between the inverse square law of gravitation and electricity. I really want to, to study a bit uh, Oliver Heaviside in a way. In 1905, Henry Poincaré proposed gravitational waves emanating from a body and propagating the speed of light as being required by Lorentz transforms, and suggested that, in analogy to accelerating electric charge producing electromagnetic waves, accelerated mass uh, in a relativistic field theory gravity should produce gravitational waves. When Albert Einstein published his general theory of relativity in 1915, he was sceptical of Poincaré's idea since the theory implied there was no gravitational dipoles, which is, so this is why you've got to get quadrupole. 
Nonetheless, he still pursued the idea based on the various explanations, and we came to the conclusion there must, in fact, be three types of gravitational waves, dubbed longitudinal, longitudinal, transverse longitudinal, and transverse transverse by Hyman Whale. Now, this is because uh, you get these this next level because you don't have your dipole. However, the nature of Einstein's approximation led many, including Einstein himself, to doubt the result. In 1922, Arthur Eddington showed that two of Einstein's types of waves were artifacts of the coordinates, leading Eddington to suggest that they propagate at the speed of thought. They also propagate at the speed of light, regardless of the coordinate system. In 1936, Einstein and Nathan Rosen submitted a paper to Physical Review, which they claimed gravitational waves could not exist in general relativity uh, because any such solution of the field's equations would have a singularity. The journal sent the manuscript to be reviewed by Howard P. Robinson, who anonymously reported that the singularities in question were simple, harmless coordinate singularities of employed single uh, cylindrical coordinates. Einstein, who was unfamiliar with the concept of peer review, angrily withdrew his manuscript never to publish in physical review again. So this is a, a very interesting thing that peer review was not was coming into existence. Um, nonetheless, his assistant Leopold Infield, who had been in contact with Robinson, so this is how it really goes. Commits to Einstein that criticism was uh, correct, and the paper was rewritten with the opposite conclusion and published elsewhere. Now, if I can just say, one of the interesting things is that you're in, I've submitted things to Physical A and, and Physical Review, and they basically just look up your references and do a citation map. Who have you referred to? Who would, should you have referred to? How is it different? And then if you haven't referred to someone who is generally referred to by everyone, that's who they get to review papers. It's quite, quite interesting. Okay. In 1956, Pirani remedied the confusion caused by the use of various coordinate systems by rephasing the gravitational waves in terms of the manifestly observable Raymond uh, curvature tensor. So the, the things to understand, the 56 is, I think Einstein has died by this year, and uh, there is this level of um, maths for general relativity, which is sort of the modern level. So it's hard to say, it's easy to follow the story of Einstein, and it's just nail-bitingly hard to go after this. At the time, Pirani's work was mostly ignored because the community focused on a different question, whether gravitational waves could transmit energy. So what was their one? Whether they could actually exist was the first one. But, um, okay. This matter was settled by a thought experiment proposed by Richard Feynman using the first GR conference during the first GR General Relativity Conference in Chapel Hill in 1957. In short, his argument, known as the sticky bead argument, notes that if one takes a rod with beads, then the effect of passing gravitational wave would be to move the beads along the rod. Friction would be produced heat, implying the passing wave had done work. 
Shortly after, Herman Bondi, a former gravitational wave skeptic, published a detailed version of the sticky bead argument. That is okay, but um, you then have to say, um, what what does this actually mean? If it does work, um, it must produce a cancelling gravitational wave. Those beads moving must produce another gravitational wave, which undoes it. Uh, it's, it's, it's sort of like light, and uh, how light travelling through a glass of water doesn't... Uh, uh, the energy is stored there in a, in a way. That is, the objects must have a refractive property in it, I would expect. After Chapel Conference, Joseph Weber started designing and building the first gravitational wave detectors known as the Weber Bowers. In '69, Weber claimed to have detected the first gravitational waves. By 1970, he was detecting signals regularly from the galactic centre. However, the frequency of detection soon raised doubts on the validity of his observations and applied the rate of energy loss in the middle way would drain our galaxy of energy on a time scale much shorter than its inferred age. These doubts strengthened when, by the mid-1970s, repeated experiments from other crews building their own river bars across the globe failed to find any signals. And by the late 1970s, general consensus was that Weber's results were spurious. And that's pretty much... Sort of the um, the second, I was sort of the second wave when I came into this field. I was in the second wave of spurious um, response to it. Um, so I, I know people who've had. You know, there's a, a guy, a beautiful guy in Perth, who had a large uh, a Weber bar in his thing. And it was detecting waves crashing on the beach. So the, our gravitational waves thing were strong enough. Uh, the one that I was working at Melbourne University was definitely potentially strong enough to see the tram rumble down Swanson Street outside. Potentially, I don't know. There were so many other sources. In the same period, in the first indirect inv- evidence of gravitational waves was discovered. In 1974, Russell Allen Hustle and Joseph Horton Taylor Jr. discovered the first binary pulsar, which earned them the 1993 Nobel Prize in Physics. Pulsar timing observations over the next decade showed a gradual decay of the orbital period of the Hustle-Taylor pulsar and matched the loss of energy and angular momentum in gravitational radiation predicted by general relativity. Now, um, this is another thing that people do not know, that light transmits energy, momentum, and angular momentum, as, as does gravitational waves. The indirect uh, detection of gravitational waves motivated further searches, despite Weber's discredited results. This is pretty interesting, that because Weber was wrong, they, they really knew what to do. And I think that happens in relationships. The... If you, you, the people who have been through a bad marriage and stuff like that know are uh, 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 primed to reinterpret the situation in a positive way, which they can't do it. So it's almost having an ideal marriage to have a have a to have a bad marriage first. It's this bizarre thing. So this ideal triumph of human 
uh, engineering required people to sit back and say what what say the stuff what what happened you know what this is wrong but in a serious mature scientific way what happened whereas in in industry and capitalism and human relationships you're trying to tear someone down to get resources out you're trying to tear something down to actually see what is recovered to analyze to learn from it um, the idea of using a laser interferometer for this seems to have been floated independently by various people including M.E. Gertenstein and V.I. Polstolvolt in 1962 and Vladimir B. Bragnansky in 66. The first prototypes were developed in the 70s by Robert L. Forward and Reinhard Weiss, that's where Weiss comes from. In the decades that followed, ever more sensitive instruments were constructed, culminating in the construction of the Geo 600, I've never heard of that one. Ligo and Virgo, so the G600 must have been overcome. Now, of course, Australians have been working on this, and this is uh, the ability to reduce the shot noise of these things. After years of producing null results, the improved detectors became operational in 2015. Ligo made the first direct observation of gravitational waves in September, 15th of September, 2015. It was inferred that the signal, dubbed GW15, 0914 originated from a merger of two black holes of 36 uh, plus 5 by minus 4 masses and uh, 19 plus 4 minus 4 masses resulting in something else. So uh, it goes across. This suggests that the gravitational wave signal carried the energy of roughly three solar masses about 5 by 10 to the 47 joules. So that's a huge amount of energy. But this is the first thing that had just switched on their detectors before they were going to go into a proper observation run. And when you're on a proper observation run, people are going to inject spurious signals into their, their, um, their, their readings to actually test the whole system, the detection system, the analysis system, the publication system. They had really worked out how to, they had worked out in their first wave, they had worked out how to remove the humanity from detection. So humans are full of bias and prejudices and, and medieval and renaissance politics. And the scientists came in and we said, we know how to actually remove that. We remove that by having a team of people to put in spurious signals. And... Uh, only at the publication rate do this team get revealed to actually see whether you have responded to a spurious signal. So everyone knew that if they jumped and held a press conference, their press conference could be rained on by the other scientists are saying, not only are you crap, here is how it's happened. Here's a photograph of someone fucking up your experiment. And only that kept everyone absolutely honest. So we had to solve how to um, detect these very, pull these very weak signals out. We also had to solve the sociology of how to actually protect a very weak signal into the publication sphere. So they solved the double level, but they haven't solved the rate of how 
you have a sceptical, second-rate society really not fit for um, gravitational waves. They've solved all this. They've got the quality to exceed human humanity to get these, but they haven't solved the the problem of how humanity is so vain, so short-sighted, so malicious that they can't actually see it. It's sort of like a vision from God has appeared and God's appeared, done his miracles, bang, bang, bang. And what's happened is that uh, you've got gutter Murdoch press, which has sort of twisted and turned it. And, and the information of gravitational waves still has to come across. A year early, uh, Bicep 2 claimed that they had detected the imprint of gravitational waves in the cosmic microwave background. However, they were later forced to re re retract this result, which is pretty amazing. Um, result. Uh, in 2017, the Nobel Prize for Physics was awarded to Weiss, Kipthorne and Barish for their role in the detection of gravitational waves. What I want to say is that the cosmic microwave background was not in the envelope of, of humanity quality control. It was outside the envelope and it showed uh, the, the social engineering that also went into it. So they, they built these, these fantastic microphones, but they also built, they socially engineered it such that it could not produce a crap result. And uh, if it produced a crap result, it would kill itself. It required so much funding to produce that if it produced a second-rate result, uh, which, so say if it saw, saw one, people would say, you couldn't go and go, oh, we, we lied. Quite honestly, we, they just realised that they couldn't do that, the way that the funding went. And of course, this, uh, looking at the shade of the microwave background, uh, didn't help it. Okay, the effect of passing. I don't know what that means, but we'll read that next. another story comes to a close. It's been a pleasure sharing this moment in time with you. May you discover truly amazing things, understand them and tell others. Thanks for listening.